Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, created for those currently going through our operator training course and for others who are interested in thinking about joining the organization in future years. In this podcast, we're going to be bringing you some highly successful operators, leaders, and training specialists who are going to be revealing their tips, tools, and some techniques to help you achieve peak levels of performance. Now, sit back, take some notes, and use these experiences as stepping stones for your personal success. This is the Insight Through Experience Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of Insight Through Experience Podcast, everybody. Looking forward to this week as much as I was last week. This week, we have part two of our HBO experts giving us tips and techniques. We're going to finish off selection. And then we're going to move into operator OTC and what the HPO staff brings to that process through those eight to 10 months of rigorous training. Something I also want to highlight out there is even though we're talking mostly about operators and operator ANS assessment selection and the OTC process, for all those support folks who are thinking about making the 724 a future part of their life, a lot of these techniques are going to apply and help you when you come up to do your assessment too. That assessment is also stressful. Probably not as physically rigorous, obviously, but you will spend three or four days with us um, going through interviews and going through a whole lot of stressful situations that a lot of these tips that our HPO experts are talking about these two weeks, um, they can really help you out as well. So today we're going to, again, complete the selection piece with our HPO experts. Uh, We're gonna talk about things like how to improve your communication or how to communicate better when you come through the process during things like interviews or some of your events. And then we're gonna move into OTC process as stated and the HPO folks will let you know their involvement, how they plug into OTC and how basically all of them come together as this unified and succinct group to help you grow professionally and personally. So it should be a great time. Grab a cold or hot drink, your preference, grab a notebook, take some notes, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Insight Through Experience podcast. All right. Appreciate y'all coming along. All right, Callie, we're moving back over to you, and this is a nutrition question. So you told us how the guys could prep optimally before they come, but what we do know, and the reality is they're going to be stuck with about three MREs a day while they are here. And that's going to suck. A lot of them feel like they are not fueled properly towards the end of selection, which I am absolutely okay with. But how can they use those three MREs a day efficiently for what you know about the process? Yeah, definitely. Three MREs per day is not fun. And you guys are going to be coming into this and you are going to be burning a lot more fuel than what you're actually going to be consuming. Um, That's just a given. However, not only are your muscles just overall body-wise, fatigue-wise, thinking from the physical aspect, but the mental aspect as well is that when you are concentrating and under so much stress, you are actually burning more energy on top of it. So making sure you are consuming what you are given in the best possible way is going to make sure that you get through the selection process, I guess, as smoothly, I'm saying that lately, as smoothly as you can. Um, So one thing that I do kind of talk about um, is you have three MREs per day. Are you able to just eat those in three big meals or is there a way that you could actually optimize this in potential um, like 
snack scenarios, I guess is kind of how I like to call it. So there's actually this one pager um, that I believe you guys will be getting at some point. And it's a one pager on how to break down an MRE for more of a endurance based energy function rather than just the basic meals. And essentially what I was trying to do is figure out, okay, in one MRE, you're given all these little components. Can you take five minutes to break down these components and pair, let's say, one item with another that provides you X amount of carbs and maybe a little bit of sodium as well as a little bit of protein. And it can actually create anywhere from like a three to maybe even a five hour energy sustainment in that one MRE rather than just eating all of it in bulk at one time and going from a big wave of energy to a huge dip to a big wave of energy to a huge dip, trying to maintain that energy balance throughout your entire selection process. Now that's on top of being well hydrated. Um, you're also going to have some access to a few drip drops um, here and there throughout the process as well to help kind of replenish some of those, some of those electrolytes. One thing though that I've seen even some of the feedback is that guys they forget to eat or they get so busy or so stressed during the selection process. Yes, 100%. But it's once again, it goes back to what I say is that failing to plan is planning to fail. And if you are not forcing yourself to eat or hydrate using the little bit that you have in the MREs or the drip drops, you are going to be setting yourself up for more of a suck during the whole selection process as a whole. Kelly, it's no secret that we do selection in two phases. Uh, there's a garrison phase up front, and then they move into the field phase. What's that strategy shift look like when they go from the garrison phase into the field phase with the MREs, those three a day? So we could potentially talk about how to utilize a little bit maybe more energy post the big physical aspects of more of that. Um, I talked about like the three R's of recovery. You're trying to repair any muscle damage by having a protein amount, refuel. So once again, that carbohydrate source is kind of like your fuel source if your body's a car, um, and then rehydrate with fluids. So you could also think about it that way is after one of your really heavy um, physical activities, okay, maybe I save a little bit of my MRE and I make sure I hit that recovery piece just so I'm kind of replenishing there, give me some more sustainment um, that way. But overall, three MREs are going to be, they're going to be very challenging um, just for everything that you're leading up to. And I think because there are those distinct phases, it once again is you're very limited with what you are going to have access for fuel-wise. So that is making sure that you 100% are consuming everything that you have available as well as hydrating and forcing yourself even when you don't want to. And some guys will even maybe feel like, I don't even want to, I feel sick. Well, if you're that, you're pretty much putting yourself on a back burner and you can't catch up to that. Um, so once again, it's really just trying to make sure you stay on top of it the whole time through. This is a question for you and really everybody because everybody on here has witnessed the whole process before. But one thing that I see guys struggling with is how do they know that they're getting behind on their nutrition? What are those signs that start appearing through phase three and especially on exfil so they can correct it and they don't need us to correct it for them? Yeah, so obviously you're going to be physically and mentally exhausted. That's a thing, but trying to distinguish differences. And one of the first things that I immediately think of is brain fog. Um, I'm sure all of you have experienced brain fog at some point in your life. I know I have myself. Um, brain fog for me, I immediately go to 
hydration. What is my hydration status first and foremost, just because your brain is actually made up of a huge component of water. Um, and without that um, component, you, your brain's just not going to function as properly. So you're going to be a little bit more shut down. Thought process isn't going to be as quick. Um, and then also I think of brain fog once again as lack of fuel, lack of carbs. So that could be a self-check-in of when was the last time I drank water? When was the last time I had a drip drop? Have I been utilizing my drip drop? When was the last time that I fueled? Was it an hour ago? Okay, maybe I need to reevaluate what's going on or holy crap, I just realized that it's been five hours and I've been so hyper-focused in this, in this um, task that I've been assigned during this lecture, I'm like, crap, okay, what is this? Um, so it's kind of those self-check-ins of um, more of that mental brain fog clarity. You're going to be tired. You're going to experience that. But can you try to catch it or at least recognize those signs and symptoms from a nutrition or hydration standpoint? In the past, I've had guys uh, train together with their long ruck events and stuff, uh, their longer bike rides, aerobic events. You know, every 15 minutes, am I taking a sip of water? Am I, every 30 minutes, am I taking in a carbohydrate? Every, uh, after three hours, am I getting my protein source? So kind of like what Chad was saying with checking in with themselves 30 days prior with the breathing techniques, this is something that the candidates need to practice before they even come to selection. So I have a timer on my watch. Everyone's going to have a watch. Okay, 15 minutes, let me get a gulp of water in. You know, 30 minutes, I'm going to get that electrolyte mix, whatever I have, and, and really train the body to go that way so that they're just not nugging out and trying to be the strong ranger and complete this ruck as fast as possible without any fueling. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Lance, thank you for that. And that's something that I actually have on the one pager when they come in. But um, like you said, you should actually practice these proper fueling strategies to know yourself and know your body prior to coming into selection. Because once you're in the heat of the moment and you're stressed, I think that's also where guys come back with the comments of, crap, I forgot to eat. I forgot to drink because you just get so hyper-focused on what's in front of you. If you can put these practices during your train-ups and figure out, hey, this is what happens when I consume this much water or this like this amount for my electrolytes at this time. Is this better? Is this worse? Um, so some things that you can look at, typically um, kind of a strategy that I look at is two to three hours prior to a physical activity, you're looking at taking in between 16 to 24 ounces of water. Um, this allows fluid to just kind of be um, lost through urine if you have to go to the bathroom right before that training session. 30 minutes prior, you're only needing about 5 to 10 ounces of water because it, um, there's really no more benefit to consuming more fluid than that. Um, you can also, like, you, I don't know about you guys, but if you think you're like, I don't want anything sitting in my stomach as I'm running around doing some high intensity things. And then during, you're also, once again, kind of that five to 10 ounces. And what you can do is you can aim anywhere from maybe two to three gulps of water, um, just so you don't have to think of crap. I need five to 10 ounces. What does that look like? Um, but you're also consuming electrolytes um, at the same time. And there's also some strategies, Lance, kind of what you had talked about with carbohydrates is that... and. You're looking, just depending on body size and the type of activity you're doing, it can be anywhere from 30 grams of carbs per hour up to 60, up to 90. Um, you're going to be in that variation range. So once again, that might be something that, to, that would benefit you in 
try to figure out these testings um, during your train up and figure out, hey, this this range fits me really well. These are the things that I'm feeling not only physically, but mentally. And you can track that even in your workout log. Um, so you can start establishing that. And once again, the watch then when you actually come to selection, if you already know your body and you know yourself, you can come and set that reminder for yourself on your watch and kind of go through the process because there are going to be things that are just going to be completely out of sight, out of mind. You're not going to think about, um, but the nutrition aspect, if you train properly hydrated and properly fueled coming in, it's almost like that muscle memory um, that you can draw back from in the times of high stress and high anxiety. Let's move over to a different kind of stressor. And a lot of guys um, in their feedback talk about they wish they could have communicated better in things like interviews and during other events. So Barb and Chad, this is for you. What are some ways guys can practice on that communication before they get up here? Because it is a big stressor and it is usually one of the biggest things guys say that they didn't do well and they would go back and change if they could. Uh, I would say, I think effective for me, so maybe this won't be effective for everyone else. My first boss when I got to uh, Special Tactics was uh, Colonel Bullard and he told me to be brief, be bold, be gone in all my communication strategies. And I think I've tried to do that, right? So just get to your point and not, don't add information that doesn't need to be added there. I feel like when you get nervous, less is probably more rather than trying to say more and explain that away. I think the other thing for a tangible skill, the book brief um, is pretty easy to read. And I think it really highlights what I just said, how to be brief, be bold, be gone in a, in a very easy way. And it's, it's powerful. That's why we send everyone in this command to that course. So I think reading that book beforehand, being okay, being simplified um, would help you uh, probably remove a lot of the stress related to communication over to Barb. I think the book brief would be great because it goes into the levels of detail that, that are needed for that engagement. And I think that would just come into you come into an interview or come into an event. You can instantly refer back to that book and like, okay, this only needs level one details. So that's as deep as I'm going to go for this. And I can give those details out and then go into receive mode and see if they have any questions for that. Go ahead, Barb. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, the only thing I would add is to um, <laughs> please try to get rid of the assumption that we are against you. This is going to uh, inhibit you from saying what's actually going on in your brain. Um, and we want to know that. Uh, you should trust us coming in because we want the best for you. That's, we're just trying to get to know you. Um, so I would say, number one, get rid of the assumptions um, that it's like an interrogation rather than an interview. It's an interview. Um, when we sit at that hiring board, we want to be able to describe you as a unique individual. And we simply cannot do that without you talking to us freely. Um, and then the second thing would be effort. So I think, um, you know, you're not thinking about, right, like performing for the psych interview. That is the lowest thing in your mind, right? You want to perform for the cadre and in all these other um, kind of physically and mentally taxing events. I would say please put forth effort because this is a very important part of our selection process. Perfect, Ben. So a guy like me who gets really anxious before I am going to get thrown into an event like an interview or I got to speak publicly in front of a lot of people. What, what's one thing? What's one thing I can get some tangible results before I walk in that room or get thrown in that situation I can do um, really quick? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been talking about it, but breathing is going to be the, your go-to on that. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's, it's there for us all the time. Um, it uh, activates our parasympathetic system, our rest and digest system, so that we can relax 
um, just a little bit in that moment. Um, and I think that would be the go-to. I always put that out too. I mean, it's, it's so simple. It really is. But every guy I talk to, every guy that answers a questionnaire for me, they all say they do that. So, I mean, you should definitely be doing that. It's, it's um, in, in some ways common sense, but you should definitely be doing it. The only other thing I would add to that is, you know, prior to getting here, um, in terms of uh, another way you can train the mental side to help you out with an interview or just simply uh, when, you're, when you're trying to make sure that you're focused on the TCS when you're trying to um, listen to what uh, you're actually supposed to be doing for that event because I, I hear guys bring up the fact that they're, one of the biggest challenges they had was actually um, highlighting what they were supposed to be doing at an event. And so, you know, one of the things you can do um, in your preparation, um, call it the task-focused attention exercise, have somebody, um, and do this multiple times, um, have somebody tell you a two-minute story, four-minute story, um, work up in terms of your time, and uh, initially start off, uh, turn away from that person, and just listen, um, and make sure that you're really focusing in on where's your attention, are you actually listening to what's being said, or are you in your own head, are you thinking about uh, what you want to do next, or are you thinking about dinner, are you thinking about you know the, a bad day, whatever it is, or are you distracted by everything that's in your external environment, um, and then practice refocusing your attention onto whoever's talking to you. And really, honestly, it's, it's practicing attention control, but it's also practicing listening skills that when you get here, um, it, it becomes one less thing you have to worry about because you're going to have to get critical information in interviews and in a TCS. And if your attention is distracted at all, you're not going to do very well in the event. Yeah, awesome. Um, last question on this for any of you guys. Let's say that I'm in the middle of an interview or an event and it's not going good inside. I know I am bombing this. How can I reset in a moment? I can't start over, but how can I find a reset real quick? What can I do to get reset and get focused back on what I should be doing instead of what I have been doing? Right, I would recommend that you acknowledge that and just say, hey, man, I like to reset and restart. So I think it diffuses the room, right? I think people are hesitant to think that uh, they can take a pause in a public way. Uh, and I know that would be hard, but you will diffuse the room. You can reset and give you a secondary ground. Well, if we look at it, you're not fooling anybody. We're seeing it come off the rails too, right? So we're already, to us, what a benefit to, to know that you realize that it's going off the rails because usually the guy will just keep talking and then he's already down some bunny trail and we're like, my God, this is torturous. Yeah, I, I love that, Chad. Just admit, hey, this isn't going well right now. I'd love to restart and reset and do this again. Okay, Lou, this is over to you. I know this is a tough question, but a big problem the guys face as they're going through longer events like Xville, the infill ruck, as their bodies start giving them feedback. Um, sometimes that's knee pain, back pain, foot pain. And the problem they're having is they, they struggle to determine what, that, what that's revealing to them. So from your perspective, what advice do you have for the guys to determine, hey, what's normal overuse injuries and what's something that might be more serious? Yeah, I think... First, it is important to recognize that you're doing something that will probably cause you pain. Just that, that cognitive acknowledgement that like, hey, I am experiencing an acute increase in training load that is going to make my joints swell, that is going to make me have pain. On top of that, I'm sleep deprived and food deprived. So you do get a lot of conflicting signals, but like a lot of the psychs have been saying, it's important to know yourself, you should have come into this prepared. You have experienced fatigue at this point, maybe not this much, but you should be able to take a second, breathe deep and think, okay, is this something I've felt before? It might be worse, but can I at least identify that like, hey, this is not 
an imminent threat to my being is just a sore ankle. That's one part of it is just being there mentally enough to, to think that through, which is not always an option once you're that tired. Um, the second part of that is just be smart about it. Like if you're at a point where there's some medical components to this, that obviously a medical, like one of the medics would be able to give you even more descriptors on, but heat, cold and dehydration, like all are going to play a part in your body's response. And those are the most severe things to look out for. If you're starting to like mentally feel like you're going to black out, like, yeah, you might be experiencing something that's negative and you need to be smart enough to check in. Um, but beyond that, which is more what I have experience with, it's going to be, if your joints are swelling, that's probably normal. If you're especially been walking, how many miles you've been walking. Um, but if you start to feel like you truly have lost control of that joint or it's giving out on you or, um, you can't like feel it anymore. You have numbness and tingling. Those are all signs that like you might want to get checked out. There's medical staff that are there and they can give you some good feedback as far as what's safe to continue and what's not. Ben, how can guys shut that down mentally? So they start having some problems, some pain. There's a still a long way to go. What are some techniques the guys can employ uh, to get that out of their mind? Yeah. So, um, there, for any guy that's ever been here, you could probably ask him, and he's probably used a different strategy from the from the next guy, right? But a um, couple things that I've heard guys talk about um, that are effective for them. Uh, number one, focus on what you actually can do in that moment, um, and not on the uncontrollable factors, um, because there are going to be a lot of un- uncontrollable factors um, that you're going to be facing, and if you get stuck on those uncontrollables, um, then you're going to be frozen in the moment. So focus on what you actually can do, whether it's making it to your next point, um, whether it's um, uh, your um, your mindset at that point in time, um, your attitude and your effort, um, looking at it as a challenge as opposed to a threat, um, but focusing in on, on things that you can control, things that you can actually do at that point in time. Um, I've, I've also heard plenty of guys talk about, you know, that next point idea, just, you know, breaking it down into uh, mini goals. Um, but then those mini goals um, having um, objective criteria. So in other words, I'm going to make it, make it to X point in X amount of time. Um, here again, if they know the time. Um, or I'm going to make it to the next point in X number of strides, right? So that way, if you don't have a watch, which is fine, you can do it a number of strides, right? Um, you can, uh, if you're talking about carrying heavy weight, um, you can say, hey, I'm going to make it to X point um, this many strides with this arm, and then I'm going to, you know, set it down as part of my routine. Then I'm going to pick it with the other hand, and I'm going to do this. But what you're trying to do is just break it down into many goals that are um, objective, that you can measure it uh, in, a, in a situation where there are so many unpredictable things, uncontrollable things. Um, but it's something actually rock hard and steadfast that you can actually quantify at that moment. It can give your brain some tangible items to continue moving toward in that moment. Those would be the biggest suggestions I have right now based on that. Love it. So we're going to make a deliberate shift to the operator training course here, but I want to give everybody one more opportunity. Any uh, follow-ups or saved rounds that you want to get out there before we leave selection? There is one thing I meant to mention before that um, if you can, in terms of your preparation, you know, a lot of times we, we want to feel really, really good about our preparation. We want to feel like that it's uh, happening in a, in a very linear manner, meaning that as we continue to prepare, we're getting better and better and better. Um, however, you know, whether you're talking about learning or performance or whatever else, you know, really, you know, those things are nonlinear. And so 
as you're preparing, you should set yourself up for failures. Um, I don't think a lot of times we think that way, but you should find, you know, opportunities that are super challenging that, um, you, uh, you think that there's an opportunity for you to fail and you should put yourself into that situation and then practice uh, your response to that failure. Um, and if that situation didn't cause you to fail, you need to find something else because you know, one of the biggest things I think we do hear a lot from, from guys here is that you know, they haven't failed a whole lot. You know? And so then when they get here and then all of a sudden they're failing, uh, they, don't, they don't always know how to deal with it, to be honest. And so you need to set yourself up and actually practice that. I'm a big practice guy, so I think you can do that. Um, but, but actually intentionally practicing how you're dealing with that um, would be effective for you before you get here as well. I love that. And I would I say think, don't do that in a vacuum. That's, that's exactly where I was about to go with it. Um, a lot of guys try to silo off each one of the pillars, right? It, it's a global aspect. Um, I think everything that we just touched on in this whole selection prep needs to happen together. It's a married aspect. You know, psych isn't going to be individual from dietitian to strength and conditioning to performance rehab. What happens during your regular duty day affects your training day. So you need to be able to adjust, you know, as needed, stick with the plan. But every single piece that we just talked about is one global aspect that's going to get you prepared to come to selection and do the best that you can do. All right, y'all. So what we're going to do now is make a deliberate shift to our operator training course, OTC. And I think the intent behind what we're going to do here with the HP experts that we have is just to give the operators out there the knowledge of what the HP staff is going to bring to them when OTC starts. All right. So who wants to start us off? Trev, I could say one thing from my optic. I think um, going back a couple of years, there's still some scar tissue about, you know, the 2015 class about what, what OTC really is. Uh, and, and it really is a training course. It's not a pipeline. It's not in doc. It's not a hazing. Um, it's a training course, right? Like everyone here wants you to be successful. Once we've moved you here, brought you here, brought your families here to be an OTC graduate. I think, I think we say that a lot. I'm not sure if everyone believes it, but it is true. Uh, it's a training course. I also think it helps to understand that we use talent management and hire the cadre to go into OTC because they're invested in the right people to actually train you. And, uh, and Barb and you guys spend a lot of time training those cadre with Ben to be good instructors, to get people through there. Um, so I would just encourage people to remember it is a training pipeline. It's a training course, not a, not a pipeline like they're used to in the ATC side. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chad. And as we listen to the interviews with the guys who went through this last OTC, I think it becomes clearly evident that there's been a major shift over the last four years in the cadre staff and their um, thought processes on how to train and, and get the operators up to peak levels by the end of OTC. And, that mentorship coaching relationship has really been the difference there. So yeah, glad you said that. All right, Ben, over to you for the sports psychology piece. Um, the way I typically uh, integrate with that in that program is a lot of times I'll do an intake with you, right? When you get here, we'll go over some of the uh, mental performance areas uh, that are basically um, assessed from ANS. And we're going to target some specific areas that, that you can uh, improve so that you can leverage those for specifically OTC. Uh, we're going to build some of that into your peak performance week, which I'm sure Barb's going to talk a little bit more about in, in just a, a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to integrate quite a bit with strength and conditioning. Um, there again, we've already talked a little bit about the heart rate monitoring, but we do quite a bit of that here um, in terms of just overall energy management and then uh, building in a lot of uh, we call them cognitive perceptual training activities, which is essentially you know, ways that we can train reaction time, attention control, target discrimination, 
some of those things that when you integrate them with your physical world, um, they're going to be directly applicable when you go to your technical and tactical training. Um, also do a lot, a lot of work with our, our cadre and instructor group. Um, we do a lot of uh, training from a sports psychology perspective, just like you would train a coach on the athletic realm in terms of the ap application of sports psychology to improving um, athlete performance. It's the same way here. We talk about it in terms of how they can um, help accelerate learning um, and skill acquisition, but then also performance of each uh, GTO. And then during OTC, I go to a lot of training. And when I'm at training, I'd basically be doing exactly what I would do from you know, the athletic standpoint. I'm going to work with uh, coaches, but you know, in this case, it's, they're going to be cadre instructors on how to um, apply the concept, concepts that we talk. We're going to look at the training, but then we're also on the individual level from a GTO perspective. We're going to take the things that we did in intake, peak performance, and the strength conditioning realm in, in terms of the application and start really applying it to improving skill acquisition um, and development during the, uh, the OTC, but then also just overall performance. So that's essentially what I'm going to do for you when you get here. Awesome. Thanks. Callie, over to you and nutrition. Um, so once again, as you guys come into the unit and you start the OTC process, it is going to be um, months long of training, fine tuning all of your skill sets. You're going to be challenged physically and mentally. Um, from nutrition, how you'll see me is that um, for the most part, you'll see me jump in right during peak performance week, which I know Barb will go in a little bit more of a detail on later on. Um, but you'll get a brief from me on just baseline nutrition, but really how to optimize your fueling for nutrition for the things that you're going to be facing um, mentally, physically. And one of the things that we also will go through is that I work very closely with our whole human performance staff. So work with strength coaches and the rehab shop as well. So we'll do some baseline body comps. We'll also work with a med shop and do some blood work for you guys. And those are going to be used as kind of a baseline to follow you throughout your career based on different jort cycles and training cycles. And we can really look at kind of an overall um, holistic approach. And I try to tie in that nutrition piece component in there. During OTC in itself, um, you guys are going to be doing a lot of long hours, a lot of, a lot of different training courses, a lot of different locations. Food accessibility is a big challenge. And I realize that. And I've had a lot of feedback from guys um, who, especially even this last OTC, learning, hey, this was a really good place for food. This was really difficult. These are my challenges. These are my successes. My goal for you is that when you get into the unit, you meet me, you kind of establish that relationship, and we are able to work together on, hey, Callie, these are the questions. These are things that I'm facing during OTC. How can I still perform well, but can I make sure that I'm recovering? Can I make sure that I'm going to be injury free? How can I just look at nutrition from the holistic standpoint to make sure that I am getting the best bang for buck throughout this entire course? Awesome. Lou, how about the uh, physical therapy side? Yeah, I think so far what they've described is just kind of an embracing of the learning process, right? Like that's what a training course is. And we take a similar approach in the rehab shop um, we do have more of a preventative model, meaning we will try to do a really good job of baselining your movement capacity when you come in. We do a full um, evaluation of that, and we use that beginning time frame to really develop some individualized techniques for you. We build it out with, along the strength team um, into what you're already doing with them so that you have a way of sort of teaching a man to fish because there's going to be a lot of time 
during that course where you will not have immediate access to a healthcare provider. Um, often you do, but there are also a lot of times that you don't. So having the capacity to take care of yourself and really just learning how to have ownership over your own body and how it feels. And then um, it is a longer process. So there is still, obviously there's some physically intense trainings where we're still very much involved. Um, really anything that involves the jump, jumping, shooting, things like that, where you're really fatigued will be there to also just nip things when they come up, not letting you stay injured and have to train through it for weeks at a time before you get care. But hopefully we're there more often than not at the beginning of something so we can prevent it from getting worse. That's kind of how we look at it. Uh, there's going to be, you know, 66%, I think was the statistic last year of acute injuries of all the injuries that the guys got during that phase, they were acute. So there's not a lot you can always do to stop it, but hopefully keeping that time period of care that's required really low um, through all of those different preventative mechanisms is our goal. Perfect. Lance, what you got from strength and conditioning? So on the strength side, we're going to be incorporated. I, th I think we've all talked about peak performance, but that's where we're going to do our baseline testing for uh, all the guys in the course. So that baseline testing is going to be upper and lower strength and power. It's going to be uh, – more the lactate uh, threshold system. Um, so throughout the whole course, we're going to have a whole program built uh, for guys that's going to be on the Bridge Athletic app. They don't have to go around and try to find the proper workout for them. Um, luckily enough, John has been uh, with OTC for quite a bit. Um, he knows exactly what the gyms are going to be like at each TDY location guys are going. So we already have those loaded up for this next OTC class going. Um, we also know the time frame where guys are going to go with that. Uh, when guys are here, we, we build in group type workouts, um, build that camaraderie, build that team culture. Uh, also, we like to pull out um, some instant feedback. Last class, we used a little bit of velocity-based training feedback to where we want guys moving the bar at a certain speed, and it, it kind of got the competitive juices going and, and really had a good vibe in the weight room with that. Um, one thing that I think our HP staff does better than anywhere I have ever been, and I, I will put our staff against anyone in the nation, is we integrate so well with each other. During this OTC class, you're going to see if you're in the weight room with strength and conditioning, you're going to see Callie, you're going to see Ben, you're going to see Lou, you're going to see every aspect of this human performance team really come together and try to push these guys into the, the proper type of conditioning, shape, um, rehab, whatever it needs to be to be successful. Um, and, and just know that we have the, the best interests of the guys uh, and mind each and every single one of us, and we'll meet on that weekly, if not daily, helping guys out. Um, so another thing that we will do is I think guys need to keep in mind, and, and I think I've said this before, is these workouts can actually push you into a recovery. During this OTC class, every single second of every single day are going to be competing with other interests. Right, you're you're going to be learning new skills. You're going to be uh, physically taxed. You're going to be on the road. You're going to be away from family. You're going to be all these components. But you are 
competing with interest and what are you doing to be able to recover paying that debt to be able to perform at your peak? All right, Barb, tell us a little bit about peak performance. What to expect out of that? Yeah, so you'll see us uh, first thing when you show up after you in process, then we get you for uh, about an entire week. And uh, Trey leads us through a course called Peak Performance in which we synchronize all of our HPO assets, everyone that you're hearing um, on this podcast and, um, and additional assets, except they're going to go in depth and they're going to personalize the information, especially for your time in OTC and beyond. We will do baselines. So everyone's been mentioning baselines. There's also some um, psych baselines that we want to just see um, how you're doing um, from a neuropsychological standpoint, um, from, you know, alcohol, relationships, burnout. Um, and we do these baselines, again, at reset um, throughout, you know, I guess after each jort cycle and that's so that we can uh, always have a pulse on where you're at in all those areas because we know that it affects performance. Uh, additionally, we will give you another workplace personality assessment and we'll spend a lot of time on that and we'll do a lot of fun, <laughs> quote unquote, fun activities um, together. And um, we will get really good at giving and receiving feedback. In addition to that, we've got um, an O's coaching program. This will be the second year. So uh, for the most part, you will not see me during OTC after peak performance unless we are working on a specific area for you um, and doing some individual coaching uh, unless you are an officer and you are you fall into that um, coaching program, which includes just a few other additional individual meetings and a leadership assessment. All right, Chad, can you explain for the families coming in, what kind of support network is built by the HPO team around the families, not just operators, but around the families as they check in and become a part of the organization? Yep. I think uh, when they first get to the organization, the first person that will reach out to them would be um, two, actually be two people. Megan uh, Hughes Willis is our peer network coordinator and she runs our family support program. So she runs uh, kind of your introduction into the organization. She'll collect your family's information and then put them in touch with a key spouse um, or some some spouse identified at the debt to uh, kind of answer questions. The second thing we'll do for families is uh, relatively close to when uh, they come in, probably during their IFAM week, there'll be a spouse orientation course where we'll bring their families on compound and uh, the, the tier commander will give them a brief about as best they can what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it. The other thing for the families are when they're at the debt, they'll have a social worker that's assigned to that unit. Her name is Maria Ryder. Uh, she will take care of the, uh, the GTOs and also the families in any kind of clinical fashion or needed for throughout that duration. And then Barb, myself, will be there for any kind of coaching that needs to happen. Um, but basically, the debt's treated just like the 2-4 STS where they're going to have, by name, nine, nine kind of specialties that will be theirs for that you know, that year long process, which means by, by proxy, that'll be there for the family as well to the graduate OTC. Beautiful. All right. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to throw out some questions randomly to you guys. And I want to, I want to see what some of your opinions are. So what are some best practices? What are some things you have seen guys do as they're coming through OTC from your specialties that has just stuck out in your mind and is like, yes, that's everybody needs to do that right there because this guy's highly successful. 
I think one, one thing I've seen from successful guys is that they plan ahead with their significant other. <laughs> so they know that OTC is going to basically be an internal ramp up and an external pause. Like their, their life external to the unit is going to be on pause for a little bit. And so they will pre-plan uh, moments where they can get away with their spouse or go see their family. And I think it makes a huge difference for um, their morale during the course. I love it. And I think it's important to just let everybody know that the schedule is pretty firm. So when you get here, you're going to get handed the entire schedule. We're not holding anything secret. So you can plan some moments like Doc's talking about. Love it. Who else? Yeah, I got something for you. Um, so just being aware of the, uh, the threatened challenge states, right? So anytime you're in a course setting, um, uh, you can feel uh, threatened um, because it's like you just got to a new unit, you're in a course, and um, you, you may feel threatened by a variety of things, whether it's other guys you're going through with, and maybe you just don't feel you're as good as them, or maybe you feel threatened by, you know, instructors or, or cadre members because you feel like they are, um, you know, not there to train you when they actually are when, when, you, when you get here. So just being aware of, you know, what state of mind you're in is, is uh, hugely um, effective for the guys that are most effective in terms of uh, OTC at the end of it. And then um, uh, the other really big thing is just, you know, really coming in with uh, the idea of I'm here to learn, I'm here to, you know, get better at my, my craft. Um, and then sometimes that just simply requires uh, me being able to push away, you know, all previous training come in as almost a blank slate, um, bring it to the table what you need to, of course, um, but just, you know, there again, you know, being willing to be trained and learn uh, new ways of doing things and then applying those effectively throughout uh, that training, which really ties back into that challenge state instead of the, the threat mindset, if you will. Love it. Yeah. Ben gets to see a lot of the course, so uh, those words are gold. Go ahead, Lou. I was going to piggyback kind of off of what they both just said and goes back to what Barb said earlier, which is know thyself from a physical therapy and just physical performance standpoint. You're going to be tempted to have all this comparison with you and other guys, especially in the group training realm. But uh, your longevity is far greater if you know your limitations and you want to work on them, but not to the point of um, risking your own like physical well-being. If you know back squats are not your best thing and you need to work on some of your mobility and things like that, embracing that process instead of just trying to put up big numbers from an injury standpoint, those guys who are willing to identify their weak areas, um, especially when it comes to those more like joint mechanics, things like that and work on them, they will have less injury in the long come in the long run um, and better outcomes physically as well. Yeah, just from the nutrition lane, once again, it kind of goes back to that planning aspect is that food is definitely a challenge when you guys are going to be on the roads. Um, some places you're going to have more access and slightly a little more time to prepare. Um, but for the most part, you're going to be going, going, going when it comes to it. If you aren't planning ahead of time, how am I going to be eating here? What am I going to be doing here? You're really going to be struggling. Um see a lot of guys come back with not the best body composition changes um, or they come back a little bit more injured than what they should. Um, the one thing that I have seen that I'll even talk to you guys more about during peak week, I'll give you a lot of tools and strategies of how to, how to attack OTC when you're on the road for food. Um, but if you can create a bond with three or four guys, so you're always not, well, Callie, 
I'm not having the time to make a nutritious meal for myself. I'm not asking you to go out and make a four course meal. that's going to take an hour to two hours for you to do. Um, I'm all about like bang for buck when it comes down to it. But if you can get a group of guys, I'll go in and buy groceries together and it, each one is assigned a different task for a meal. You can actually kind of bulk meal prep together and save a lot of time and impact the guys that you're training with. So once again, your focus can be on the training of the course rather than the stressors of sitting back thinking about nutrition or that not thinking about it at all and have it come down to it to hinder you in the end. I think uh, some guys that have been successful. I know the last class was really condensed and it was hard to get in and, and, you know, get a training session, but the guys that actually came in and they, they went through their correctives, kind of like what Lou said, working on their movement. They're, get, they're getting out of the kit, doing the post-kit, you know, uh, correctives as well, have, have really paid dividends. I think if the guys can show up, you know, 30 minutes prior to showtime and actually get, you know, it could be a 5 to 10, 15-minute workout, you know, energy system development, you know, a foam roll session and move on and that'll prep them for the day and that'll keep that body moving. Actually, you know, there's an old saying, lotion is motion, you know, moving around is better than laying in bed for that extra 30, well, I would hope for 30 minutes, depending on the type of sleep you got, right? But if you could come in and just make, carve out 20 or 30 minutes, come in, foam roll, stretch, get on the bike, uh, row or something like that and really keep that conditioning going. I think that guys don't quite understand in 10 days, you lose the type of energy system development that you've, you've achieved without proper training stimulus, you're going to decondition. And that's where you're going to start seeing those negative body comp changes that Callie was just referencing. That's where you're going to see stiffness and overuse injuries from not being able to be mobile. What Lou was just talking about. And if you can just stick to a schedule, that will, that will help you out right there. And to add on top of that, Lance, like what you were saying, we have a lot of modalities that guys can use. It doesn't have to be your normal, what you're used to, back squatting four rounds, 10, and it can look different. And we have blood flow restriction training that guys can use to maintain um, a lot of their strength without putting all this load and stress on their body. We have a lot of different modalities that we can use from the Rehab shop to include, you know, there's Normatex game readies, H-waves, light beds, cryotank. There's all of these things that we can do to, um, it's just not as traditional looking. So the guys who utilize those uh, do have, from a physical standpoint, a lot more longevity. Yeah, Lou, um, kind of on that same note, you know, really the, um, the guys who, it's interesting because in, in this community, I think everybody feels like they have to go it alone. Um, mainly because they just feel like they should be able to do certain things and they should be self-reliant and so on and so forth. And I always talk to guys at the end of OTC and pretty much every one of them will say that their greatest resource throughout OTC are their teammates, um, which naturally so, right? Um, however, the guys that tend to struggle the most are the ones that didn't reach out to even their teammates, right? They wouldn't ask for help when they were struggling with the skill that they were learning. And a lot of times those same guys are the ones that, that won't reach out to all their other resources, um, you know, as Chad's already gone over there, there are a ton of resources here and uh, just, you know, be able to step outside, uh, you know, your comfort zone just a little bit more, just realizing that, hey, in an intensive training program like you're going to be in, I need to leverage every, every resource I can possibly leverage so that it maximizes, you know, 
maximizes me holistically so that I can, you know, really, really get better during this eight and a half months since that training is devoted to getting you better um, at your technical and tactical skill sets. Trey, the only thing I would add is the people that um, tend to reflect appropriately on the feedback they're given throughout the OTC pipeline training course, I'm sorry, tend to do better, right? You can see certain guys that will get that 360 feedback the first time. You'll see them in the gym. They'll say everyone is wrong uh, and they tend to not do well the rest of the course. I think the people that take the time to reflect on those 360s they're built in for a reason, tend to incorporate their changes and do better throughout the pipeline. All right, everybody, that is it for another episode of Insight Through Experience podcast. That was part two with our HPO experts. Let me just give a shout out to them one more time and thank them for sitting down and answering these questions through the experience they have had with both the assessment and selection process as well as OTC. If you're an operator who's looking at coming up and going through our assessment and selection process to try to earn a spot on our OTC, man, what valuable information these experts have just given you. And now really it's just up to you to translate that to your context and start putting in the hard work to get ready to come up. All right, y'all work diligently towards becoming a better version of you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Insight Through Experience podcast.